MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, August 13th, 2021. Today, new documents reviewed by ABC News give us a more solid picture of Matt Gates's crimes. A GOP strategist is arrested in Minnesota for sex trafficking minors. Rand Paul discloses his wife's COVID-related stock purchases 16 months past the deadline. Trump has appealed the Mazar's House Oversight Committee ruling. The Pentagon is deploying 3,000 troops to Afghanistan to evacuate Americans. And Rachel Maddow is considering leaving MSNBC. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hello, everyone. I'm in Los Angeles, so if it's a bit echoey in here, that's because I'm in a very big echoey hotel room with not a lot of soundproofing. So I I apologize for the sound quality. I am going to have a pretty big show for you today. Later on, I'm going to be talking to Tristan Snell. He actually worked on the Trump University fraud case with the Attorney General in New York. And we're going to be going over the Matt Gates updates that dropped today. And one of our patrons, David from Brooklyn, will be joining me to read the good news. Because as we all know, Dana is out. Tonight, she has her show on Fire Island in New York. So if you're in the neighborhood, go check that out. You know, there is a headline in here that I'm probably not going to go into depth on too much. But Trump has appealed the Mazar's House Oversight Committee ruling. For years now, we had two things trying to get his taxes, right? We had uh, the Mazars, I should say, the Mazars documents. We had the House Oversight Committee who subpoenaed them, and then we had the House Ways and Means Committee that subpoenaed them. The House Ways and Means Committee is the one where the law says that the IRS shall furnish. That's just for the House Ways and Means Committee. That is not the law for the Oversight Committee. And so the judge recently, as we know yesterday, decided they could have Trump's Mazars documents related to his D.C. downtown hotel and potential emoluments, but only while he was in office. And as we expected, Trump has appealed that ruling. So that will probably go up to the next level. We will see. Although Amy Coney Barrett today decided that the Supreme Court was not going to hear the Indiana University vaccine case brought by that guy who brought Citizens United. Remember how we were worried about that? So, you know, I guess a wee shred of understanding the actual law presented by Amy Coney Barrett today. So Indiana University will be allowed to mandate vaccines. That's a big decision going forward. And as I'm sure we would have seen and will see probably future cases. But now we have a little bit of precedent on that, although it doesn't really set precedent to not hear a case. You know, you know what I'm saying. You know what I mean. Anyway, we have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Lead story today comes from ABC News, and I'm going to discuss it in depth later in the show with Tristan Snell. But allow me to break it down for you. As the federal investigation into Matt Gates continues, sources tell ABC News Gates one time wingman. I wish they wouldn't call him that has been steadily providing information and handing over potential evidence that could implicate Gates and others in a sprawling probe. Former Seminole County tax collector Joel Greenberg, As part of his ongoing cooperation with prosecutors, remember they dropped him from 33 counts to six counts, he has provided investigators with years, years of Venmo and Cash App transactions and thousands of photos and videos, as well as access to personal social media accounts. ABC News has reviewed Google Voice text messages from September 2018 
that appear to show Greenberg texting with a woman he met online. In the text, Greenberg appears to discuss payment options and ask the woman who was of legal age, this one was of legal age, if she would take drugs. He then set up a get-together with himself, Matt Gates, the woman, and one of her friends. Quote, I have a friend flying in, and we're trying to make plans for tonight. What are your plans for later? The identity of this woman has been withheld for privacy. And he says, and how much of an allowance will you be requiring? Smiley face. The woman responded by telling Greenberg she has a friend who introduced me to the website that I could bring and said she usually requires $400 per meet. Greenberg then sent the woman a photo of Gates taking a selfie with students at Pea Ridge Elementary from a 2017 visit and wrote, my friend, indicating that Gates would be the friend joining the two women and himself. Ooh, my friend thinks he's really cute. The woman responded. Greenberg then replied that Gates was down here only for the day and added, we work hard and play hard. And then asked, have you ever tried Molly? And uh, if you don't know, that's MDMA, ecstasy, X, E. There's been a million names for it. As Greenberg was discussing payment for the get-together, the woman asked if Gates used the same website Greenberg had used to meet her. Greenberg replied, he knows the deal, referring to the Florida congressman. The former tax collector then said he would book a suite downtown for the gathering. Asked about the allegations reported in the article, Harlan Hill, spokesperson for Gates, told ABC News, after months of media coverage, no one woman has come forward to accuse Gates of wrongdoing. Not even Biden can say that that others might invite people unbeknownst to a U.S. congressman to functions he may or may not attend is the everyday life of a political figure. No, it isn't. Your story references people the congressman doesn't know, things he hasn't done, and messages he neither sent nor received. Ah, yes, Mr. Hill, but there are photos and videos. And in a related story from the Daily Beast, Anton Lazaro, a young Republican strategist and former congressional campaign manager in Minnesota, was arrested on underage sex trafficking charges Thursday morning, according to federal law enforcement. And I want to just make clear here when I say underage sex trafficking charges, I know that sex with a minor is rape, but sex trafficking is a different act and it's a different crime. And that is the word and words matter. So I just want you to know that I know that. Lazaro, an occasional Fox News guest who flaunted his wealthy lifestyle on social media, was indicted on five counts of sex trafficking of a minor, one count of attempting to do so, and three counts of obstruction of justice. The FBI confirmed its agents had arrested Lazaro in Minneapolis this morning, and the indictment was unsealed in federal court Thursday during his initial appearance in federal court in St. Paul, which took place over video conference. U.S. Magistrate Judge Becky Thorson ordered that Lazaro remain jailed until a court hearing next week after prosecutors claimed six victims had asked for additional protection from Lazaro. It's their strong wish, I'm quoting, that the United States proceed with a recommendation of detention, Thorson said, of the alleged victims. The indictment accuses Lazaro of having recruited at least five underage victims paid for sex between May and December last year and trying to entice a sixth. It also says he knowingly and intentionally interfered with the investigation as it closed in on him. The feds have not yet arrested a second person under investigation who was mentioned as a co-conspirator in the indictment, but has not yet been identified. Interesting. And in congressional news, Senator Rand Paul revealed Wednesday that his wife bought stock in Gilead Sciences, which makes an antiviral drug used to treat COVID-19. She did this on February 26, 2020, before the threat of coronavirus was fully understood by the public, but it was totally understood by the senators. This disclosure in a filing with the Senate came 16 months 
after the 45-day reporting deadline set forth in the Stock Act, which is designed to combat insider trading. Experts in corporate and securities law said the investment, and especially the delayed reporting of it, undermined trust in government and raised questions about whether the Kentucky Republicans' family had sought to profit from non-public information about the looming health emergency and plans by the U.S. government to combat it. I'm wondering if Rand Paul's, you know, vociferous anti-mask, anti-vax stance has anything to do with trying to increase the sale of that drug. Several senators sold large amounts of stocks in January and February of last year, prompting a handful of insider trading probes. Most of those investigations concluded in the spring of 2020. So far, there's no announcement of any investigations, but there were notifications from the Justice Department to lawmakers under scrutiny. But we haven't heard anything about anyone investigating this Rand Paul's wife and her stock transactions under the Stock Act. I just, I still can't believe these blatant violations are, are going unpunished. But now in, in international news, I'm shifting gears here. The Pentagon is moving 3,000 Marines to Afghanistan and another 4,000 troops to the region to evacuate most of the American embassy and U.S. citizens in Kabul as the Biden administration braces for a possible collapse of the Afghan government within the next 30 days. A sharply deteriorating situation as the Taliban rapidly advances across the north and Afghan security forces battle to defend ever-shrinking territory in the south and west has forced the administration to accelerate plans to get Americans out. Biden, after meeting with his top national security advisors on Wednesday night and again Thursday, also ordered additional expedited flights out of the country for Afghans who have worked with the United States so that their applications for special immigrant visas can be evaluated. The embassy sent the latest in a series of alarming alerts, urging Americans to leave Afghanistan immediately using available commercial flight options. American negotiators are also trying to extract assurances from the Taliban that they will not attack the U.S. embassy in Kabul if they take over the country's government and ever want to receive foreign aid. The 30-day estimate is uh, one scenario, and administration and military officials insist that the fall of Kabul might still be prevented if Afghan security forces can muster the resolve to put up one more resistance. But while Afghan commandos have managed to continue fighting in some areas, they have largely folded in a number of northern provincial capitals. The Taliban seized the strategic city of Ghazni, for example, about 90 miles south of Kabul on Thursday putting the group in a better position to attack Kabul after its recent string of victories in the north. By the end of the day, the Taliban were also on the verge of taking Kandahar. That's the country's second largest city and a Herat in western Afghanistan near the Iranian border. Kandahar is historically and strategically important. As you know, the Taliban, led by Mullah Muhammad Omar, began their insurgency there in Kandahar in the 90s. American officials conceded, that they greatly overestimated the ability of the Afghan national forces to hold off the Taliban for at least a year or so. The collapse, they said, was almost instantaneous, but they argued that Biden accurately assessed the ultimate outcome, that if Americans stayed, they would get caught in the crossfire of yet another Afghan civil war. I don't understand how we knew that this would happen, but they didn't. And in some very upsetting news today, Rachel Maddow has been MSNBC's most high-profile on-air personality for more than a decade, long embodying the network's liberal ethos and raking in an obsessive following for her nightly primetime broadcast. But when MSNBC viewers tune in next year, she may not be there. According to six people familiar with the situation, Maddow, 48, is seriously considering leaving the network when her contract ends early next year as negotiations drag on and the temptation to take her brand elsewhere or start her own lucrative media company has grown. Insiders who spoke with the Daily Beast said while the star host has occasionally entertained other offers in the past, 
She has in recent months increasingly expressed openness to exiting when her deal ends, citing a desire to spend more time with her family and the toll of hosting a nightly program since 2008. Maddow seems unlikely to jump to a rival TV network. Instead, she's been intrigued by opportunities in the streaming and podcasting space, which would allow her more freedom, time for her personal life, and other projects. Maddow has occasionally dropped hints about professional burnout. During her Monday evening broadcast this week, she informed us that the two-week break she took earlier this month was the longest vacation she's taken in her entire life. And during a 2019 interview with the New York Times, she said she realized that between writing a book and hosting her own show, she has barely any time for herself. She says, quote, I'm realizing now, 10, 11 years into this, that it's fine to work long days, but it's not good for you to work incessant long days, five days a week, 50 weeks a year for 10 years. Girl. Mm. Maddow's decision may represent the first major test for the network and the, the new network president, Rashida Jones, who replaced Griffin earlier this year and took the reins. Now, sources told The Daily Beast that MSNBC is taking major steps to keep Maddow on board. People briefed on the matter say NBC Universal CEO Jeff Schall and NBC Universal News Group Chair uh, Cesar Conde also remain focused on retaining her and are gearing up to offer her major contract extensions in order to do so. One idea higher ups have floated includes reducing her schedule to accommodate her desire to lighten her hosting load, maybe give her a weekly. I don't know if I were her, I have and I had the thought of starting my own podcast network. I mean, I don't know too much about that. But she's a media mogul. She is a tour de force. It just seems really, I feel like I would have my mind made up already. It just seems really tempting. And, and whomever they choose to replace, because insiders have said, talk, you know, talking about replacements, many have doubted they would replace her with Lawrence O'Donnell, whom network executives almost sent packing several years ago amid his own tense contract negotiations that spilled out into public view. And Chris Hayes, who has the hour before her, who was described for years as her protege, has also never managed to rack up major viewership numbers in the hour leading into her show. But whomever they choose, those are going to be big shoes to fill indeed. Maddow is one of my heroes, and I will follow her news wherever she goes. We'll be right back to speak to Tristan Snell about Matt Gates, and later I'll be joined by Daily Beans patron David to bring you the good news. Stay with us. After the Hey everybody, it's AG. I have an incredible recommendation for you. For anyone who wants to improve their writing, I just discovered something called WordTune. It's a digital writing partner that can review your drafts and give you creative alternatives immediately. WordTune works with my browser and offers options based on my original text. I just recently started using it. I use it for emails and a little bit in scripting and I find it very helpful and very intuitive. You just highlight the sentence you want to rewrite, click the word tune icon, and bam, you get a bunch of variety and options to choose from. You can also decide to shorten a sentence or lengthen it or change its tone, make it more formal or more colloquial. And it's the first AI-driven online writing tool that comprehends meaning. It actually analyzes the intent of what you're saying and suggests ways to make your writing more compelling, more authentic, and a little clearer. It's ideal for professional writers looking for an edge or managers aiming to make their point more clearly or perfectly. Or anyone who's writing could use an occasional tune-up. WordTune works anywhere you're working online. Google Docs, Slack, Outlook Web, WhatsApp, whatever you're working on. Listeners can try WordTune for free at wordtune.com slash dailybeans. And if you're away from your computer, go to wordtune.com slash dailybeans on your mobile phone, enter your email, and we'll send you a link to make it easy to get started. So get help writing your emails, reports, presentations, resumes, blogs, whatever you're writing. You can do it today. Go to wordtune.com, W-O-R-D-T-U-N-E dot com slash dailybeans. 
Hey, everybody, welcome back. I'm, I'm happy to be joined today by CNN and MSNBC commentator, founder of MainStreet.Law, and he prosecuted Trump University successfully at the New York Attorney General's office. Please welcome Tristan Snell. Tristan, welcome for the first time on The Beans. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. I've been following you for a long time, so I'm really excited to have this conversation. And, and today, we're going to be talking not about Matthew Gertz, bless his soul. <laughs> Poor guy. Poor guy. That's so rough. <laughs> I know. We're going to be talking about Matt Gates. Oh, him. Gates. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. The other guy. The other guy. Now, you've been tweeting that we're getting close to a a Gates charging decision. We've had public reporting out in the Twitter sphere and in, in, in the media that a charging decision would come in July and August, July or August. Then we had Joel Greenberg say three months isn't nearly enough time to tell you about all the crimes. And so... They pushed his sentencing back and both sides agreed to this because apparently he's he's offering substantial assistance. And I don't think they would take him from 33 to seven counts if he if he weren't or six counts, something six counts now. Yeah, six counts now. First of all, everyone's really interested in and I, I know you can't reveal sources, but I'm assuming you have sources. You're not just saying this stuff and putting it out there. But where where are you getting this? And I also want to talk about this recent Politico article that seems to say that the Gates investigation is stuck. Yeah, first, in terms of you know what I'm hearing, there have been a number of folks that have come forward to me. Once I started tweeting more about Gates, especially within the past few days, a lot of people DM'd me. And then also there's you know a certain amount of intelligence that one can get through the government enforcement grapevine. I'm no longer in government, but by virtue of my past work and, and some of the present work that I do for private clients, representing, uh, there's a number of folks that are victims of white collar crime, uh, whom I represent. We believe that, uh, you know, I, I, I am in, I'm in regular touch with, with folks that are in the government enforcement world. And so there's, uh, you know, there's some sources that I'm able to, to tap into that way and some things I've been able to hear, even though everybody's really playing things close to their vests at this point. And with regards to this Politico story, which I, I read and I was like, there's, this isn't, this can't be correct. And, and you, you've posited that too, but you've got stronger sourcing and you, you've told me pre-interview, you've got more information on this, on the theory, which you tweeted out that this is a Matt Gates sort of planted story. Yeah, I, I, I've managed to get some additional intel that suggests that that is correct, that corroborates my take. That started off as a as analysis by me, but that other people then proceeded to come forward and, and let me know that I was actually correct, which is always fun when my hunches end up being correct. Sadly, when you do this stuff for long enough and you learn how the sausage gets made, and by which I mean not just the politi- the legal stuff, but the political stuff, which I have done on and off at different points in my career. I know what it looks like when a political office manages to get a, a piece spun the way that they wanted to. And there's also just the fact that like no nobody close to the investigation on the prosecution side would have said any of the things that were in that article. And then there's just a couple other things. One is that, as you were pointing out just a minute ago, Greenberg went from 33 counts down to six there's no way that the prosecutors have suddenly now decided that he's a bad witness. They have been, they spent a lot of time with that man for better or for worse. And they already have decided to cast their lot with him. That is a huge reduction in the number of counts 
they are only rolling forward with him because they do think that he'll be a perfectly fine witness. Of course, he's a scumbag and he, he's not a good dude. All cooperating witnesses are criminals. Yeah, I mean, that, by, by definition, it and it just depends on how bad, you know, what is it that they did? You know, and, and there's quite a lot of degrees. Some of them were just kind of in the mix of it. And some of them were the key criminal players. In this case, you know, Greenberg was a pimp. Let's just let's just call it what it is, as opposed to using all this, all the euphemisms around sugar daddies and things like that. This was, this was, these were, he was a pimp and these women are victims of sex trafficking. And you wouldn't see him have that much of a count reduction if they didn't feel like he was a good witness. And the, and the whole thing with trying to sort of cast doubt on the credibility of, uh, of this one victim by talking about what she may or may not be doing for work these days just struck me as, as the worst kind of terrible blame the victim, victim shaming thing that we see all the time in, in sexual offense cases where the female victim's credibility gets called into question. And it, it, this really, really looked like a very dirty DC uh, smear job. Yeah, well, it, it seems to me that at least there seems to be a pattern of preying on corruptible, quote unquote, women. Right. We can talk about uh, Playboy Bunny or Broidy's one point six million dollar abortion with a with a with a playmate or they're all in they're all sex workers. You know, sex work is legit work. We're very we're very sex positive on this show. But that seems to be and 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 it's not just the women either that the these folks recruit like trump for example gates for example greenberg recruit corruptible people to do their bidding so that they it's it's a it's a mafia tactic right right yeah absolutely but this is the kind of this is the kind of tactic that is often seen in these kind of cases to basically attack the women yeah. that have come forward in one way or another so that started off as a hunch on my part, as my analysis of that Politico piece. And then I had some people come forward and tell me that they knew much more about it and that, that in fact, I am correct. That that was very much a one-sided piece that was sourced from Gates and his people, the defense counsel, his political team, et cetera, and that that's where all of that was coming from. So, you know, that, that piece muddied the waters a lot but we really, really need to discount it. If you're following this matter, that piece was really not to be trusted. That intel was very much wrong and slanted with an agenda. Yeah, and that was backed up today by new reporting, right? This yes. isn't a stuck this isn't a stuck investigation. No. So vindicated by phone calls and DMs you get, and then bam, we get this massive story. Yes. With a lot more evidence, a lot more going on. And I wanna I wanna talk about what's in this report. And then a little bit about the, the Freedom of Speech Tour. But I have to take a quick break. Tristan, will you stay with me? Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone. It's Allison Gill. And this portion of The Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp. They provide professional online therapy, and it's amazing. The counselors at BetterHelp are available to help you overcome any obstacles that might be holding you back from living your best life. They can assess your needs quickly and assign you to an experienced licensed therapist within 24 hours. So you can actually begin communicating really quickly. And you know, I learned to seek help through my PTS and my anxiety instead of trying to, to go through it by myself. And it's really hard. It can be really tough to ask for help. BetterHelp makes it easy. And that's why it's so wonderful. It's convenient, right? From anywhere, you can log into your account and message your counselor. 
So, you know, if you're traveling all the time, no problem. You get timely and thoughtful responses. You can arrange weekly video or phone sessions. It's more affordable than offline counseling. Financial aid is available, so they make it really accessible. And you can always change your counselor if you need to. It's easy and free to do that, and most providers don't allow for that. They make it really difficult. You have to jump through a lot of hoops, but they don't at BetterHelp. It's awesome. So visit BetterHelp's website and read some testimonials like this one from user WI, who says, Lily might be the first therapist I've ever had that actually made me feel heard and understood. She's very patient and insightful and genuinely cares for her clients. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And you can join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced, licensed professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking with the founder of MainStreet.Law. Again, prosecuted Trump University at the New York Attorney General's office, Tristan Snell. And before the break, Tristan, we were talking about this Politico story. You had sort of posited, and I do this all the time, I'm very speculative as a quote-unquote journalist myself. I call it putting beans on stuff. I'm like, put some beans on it. This is my super space beans. Call it a tinfoil hat. And it always ends up coming true. And yours did when you posited that Politico, the Politico story, saying that the Gates investigation was stuck, it was on hold, it was going nowhere or whatever was a, a seated by Matt Gates and his his defense attorneys, et cetera. And that I had insinuated was borne out today in this new reporting. Remind us where this reporting came out of and what it says. So this was from ABC News today, and they have a very well-sourced story there where they have managed to get access to a lot of, uh, at least some of the very large amount of evidence that the prosecutors have in this matter. Once Joel Greenberg uh, decided to cooperate and and work with the federal prosecutors, he, as is often true in this case for any witness or cooperator, then you're handing over your devices to the prosecutors, to the FBI, and then they're basically downloading everything from your phone, from your computer, et cetera, et cetera. And so they have everything. They have photos, they have videos, they have emails, they have text messages, they have Venmo and Cash App payments. So it's, you know, it's voluminous. And just even a smidgen of this was made available to the journalists for ABC. And uh, they were able to see records uh, showing Greenberg sourcing for and paying for uh, sex with these uh, women that he was finding online uh, and then making them available and uh, in turn uh, getting payment from other individuals, including Matt Gates, and fills in some of the gaps and things that we already knew. It corroborates other reporting that had been done previously on this issue. This is probably the deepest dive that anybody has had into any of the into any of the evidence that has been accumulated here. But there is, make no mistake about it, there is, there is a very, very large pile of digital crumbs that were left by the perpetrators of this whole scheme. And they did not cover their tracks. I don't even think they were trying to necessarily. Although there's the really creepy things about how they were like trying to find like a safe place for them to have their rendezvous. But they, while they, while they were trying to find, uh, you know, people's apartments and places to uh, have these encounters, they were leaving the digital traces of all of this all over the place. And all of that is stuff that now between Greenberg's cooperation and 
I'm, I'm guessing third party uh, subpoenas that were probably served on mm-hmm. entities like Venmo. They've got everything, mm-hmm. which is usually true for these cases. They've got everything. Criminals these days cannot see, cannot hide their evidence very well unless they actually stay off anything digital and operate in cash, i.e. if they operate like a criminal from 30 years ago. But as soon as they start using the internet, all of that stuff's going to come out at some point. And it has here. And then you get wire fraud charges too. And yes, exactly. You, you just ramp, you, you ramp the whole thing up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and what's interesting is reading through this, it now retroactively explains some of Matt Gates's responses to these allegations, right? First of all, that, that he raped an underage girl. He, you have to deny that, right? Because if you don't, your choices are to say you didn't know, which is no excuse, and to say that you think the age of consent should be lower, which is not also a good path to go down. So you have to deny that. But, you know, when he carefully chose his words and denied that he was using that sugar daddy website, we can now see that yeah, that's true. He probably he Green, was Greenberg did it for him. Exactly. Yeah, Greenberg was the Greenberg was the pimp. Greenberg was the one who was actually going and finding these and finding these women and figuring out what they were going to charge and so forth and so on and then the other people, the these other men were then in turn paying Greenberg. So that Greenberg was the conduit for everything. He was the organizer and sort of the central figure in this uh, in this group of men of whom Gates is one of them. So, yeah, Gates is telling the truth on that. But you're right. Like he's he's telling a very selective set of of pieces of truth. Right. And and uh, which is makes the assertion that he's being blackmailed by someone that much weirder. (laughs) But but yeah, that those we can go back and look and now and see that those those words were carefully chosen, you know, um, with like, I mean, you, how, how do you, you go to your lawyers, you say, how do I respond to these allegations? Right. And, and that's the kind of thing that they, that they tell yeah, he's you been coached. Do. He's been coached to do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll give you, a, there's another good example here. He had been previously, you know, he had been previously stating, you know, things like, and right now we increasingly, it doesn't matter. Like he, he, he basically, and first, he was trying to categorically say that he had never had sex with any of these women. He stopped saying that, notably. Mm-hmm. Things he's not saying as denials anymore. Initially, back in the spring, he was saying that he hadn't had sex with any women in, in, involved with Joel Greenberg. Now he's not saying that anymore. I think it's because he knows... Yeah, in fact, he, I think he said something along the lines of, you know, they're trying to go after me for being naughty or something like that. Right, like, right. And, and yeah. so, yeah, now he's, he's, he's quietly not he's quietly started not saying things that he used to say back in the spring it's because he's being coached you know his he's got defense counsel and they are coaching him on what to say and what not to say and they're putting some of these other things out there to make it look like he's denying things because it's optically politically necessary for him to continue trying to deny it but he's picking things that he actually can deny but they end up being meaningless just because he's not the one who found them on the sugar daddy website does not mean that he didn't commit various crimes. Yeah. Which to me implies he did do the other things. Yes. <laughs> you know, In all likelihood. Yes. Sort of- and I'll, I'll add just one other thing, which is that to a criminal prosecution feels like blackmail. Mm. Mm. That's a very so, good point. Yeah, he thinks he's, yes, he thinks he's being blackmailed by the feds. That's who he thinks he's being blacklisted <laughs> by because they're telling him things like, because the, the, the crunch he's under right now is that they're trying to, it, it appears, by me reading between the lines, I don't have this clearly verified, 
But it would appear for all the world that one of the things that's holding everything up right now is that they're trying to get Gates to cooperate. They're, they're trying to get him to plead guilty and to cooperate with the prosecutors. When your choice set is cooperate and you'll get a more lenient sentence or continue to fight this and we're going to throw the book at you to a criminal, that feels like blackmail. Yeah, I guess but that's... But that's not blackmail. That's that's not blackmail. That's prosecution. That's the rule of law. That's, now, that's how this works. Yes. That, that's my follow-up question here. Cooperating against whom? Because to me, and a lot of folks I've talked to have said that in this particular investigation, Matt Gates is the big fish. But how far up does this go when we're talking about these sham elections, you know, with Artiles and Rodriguez and there was a, there's a few of them in Florida. I mean, does this go higher up in Florida politics or are we talking higher up in United States politics to Trump, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, that's where we, we really get more into speculation. We know that there are a number of other people that have been connected to Gates and Greenberg and that there's things beyond these, you know, sort of sex parties with, you know, it's the, these, these women and sex and uh, apparently some drugs you know, there's other issues around political corruption. You know, we've got the whole medical marijuana angle. There's a number of other. Yeah, the Pirazzolo uh, verbiage that yes. turned up in his in his cannabis legislation, pretty much word for word. Word right? for word, and then, right. And then yeah. you get a trip to the Bahamas and a bunch of women. And Correct. Women. Yeah. So it looks like the it looks like, you know, the sex offense angle may have been where this starts, but that there's a sort of broader political corruption case that they are pursuing and that they're going to be, put it this way, we don't necessarily have to think of his cooperation as netting a bigger fish than him. He might be the biggest fish, but it still would be, from a prosecutor's perspective, helpful to have another big witness who then helps take out like five or six other people, even if they're quote-unquote littler fish. So we don't necessarily need to think that Gates's cooperation is to get an even bigger fish than Gates, it might not be. That's number one. Number two is that it could be that Gates is not really, uh, you know, we might want to, I might need to be more careful about this too, that we, we say he might, when we say he might cooperate, it may be that there isn't anybody else to go get, but that it's simply that they're trying to get him to plead guilty because it makes the, because then there isn't as much work to do, right? And then you have the certainty of the guilty plea rather than the uncertainty of trying this case, which would not be fun from a prosecution perspective, this will be a three-ring circus if it goes to trial. Yeah. So as the prosecutor, you would way rather get him to plead mm-hmm. and get this over with and have a nice press conference and and get the guy sentenced and declare victory and go home. Mm. Of course, you'd rather have that. Right. So it may be that they're not trying to get him to cooperate. They're just trying to get him to plead guilty in exchange for the leniency. And there isn't going to be any other fish that is worth getting. Now, number three could be, yeah, does this go any quote unquote higher in Florida politics, which I think is usually code for DeSantis. Yeah. And, you know, there are some hints that he's been involved with some of the players in all of this. Certainly Gates and DeSantis are basically, you know, colleagues, I guess you'd say. I mean, they were, uh, you know, DeSantis was a congressman before he was governor. You know, obviously they run in the same circles politically. Do they run in the same circles socially? How much is DeSantis involved in this? That gets into the realm of speculation. Mm. There's other folks that have been digging into the links between some of these people in Florida or among these people in Florida much in much more depth than, than, than I've been able to. It's a lot of people that are lawyers, journalists, and activists in Florida have, have spent a lot of time mining this area. So there's a lot of stuff on that that one can go find on Twitter. 
As for uh, number four, the national politics, you know, then we start getting into January 6th. And we get to start, we get, we start to get into, you know, what did Matt Gates know and when did he know it? How involved was he with the planning of the insurrection? And there's been a lot of reporting on that. If that reporting is accurate, Gates knows quite a lot and is involved and is potentially criminally culpable. Mm -hmm. Now, are the prosecutors in the middle district of Florida in Orlando working on that angle and trying to see if they can get Gates to spill the beans on things regarding January 6th? I think it's possible, but we have no we have no evidence that that has happened right. to date. Not that I am aware of. I don't know of any. However, it's interesting to think about. Yeah, it's certainly and- not outside the realm of possibility. You know, federal prosecutors across different offices collaborate on matters all the time. There is now a you know, there's no doubt Gates is a is a suspect in this investigation in Florida. So, you know, obviously there's going to be, there's a, there's a, there's an FBI file on Matt Gates now, and it may be that there were some other, this yeah. means that then, you know, you can go in, type his name into the system, and you're going to see what someone in Washington put into the file about him with regard to January 6th. The two people call each other, maybe they start collaborating on it. There, but there could, there could be prosecutors from multiple offices working on that now. We don't know. I, I can't imagine they're not already talking. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, uh, we'll see. you know, I mean, these are big national stories. Yeah, we'll but, see. Uh, yeah, and there's there's certain crimes that you don't let go in a in a in a, a cooperation deal. Like, I mean, Joel Greenberg is a perfect example. We'll get we'll get rid of these weird ancillary nickel and dime crimes, but we got to keep the sex trafficking a minor. We have to keep yes. like these major crimes. And yes. I, I'm assuming that if there is any kind of a proffer with Matt Gates, it's like, look, we got to get you on seditious conspiracy, insurrection, whatever. And child sex trafficking, if that if that is the case. But, you know, maybe the maybe the wire fraud, maybe the fact that you use the Internet, we can let go. But it's it's certainly a, a reduction in sentence when you when you cooperate early and cooperate. Right. Now. So, so it's, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's reduction in counts is usually where you see the change the most, because reduction mm-hmm. in sentence, there are mandatory minimums that you can't go below. So usually in criminal cases, you see it as a reduction in the, in the various counts, the charges that are brought. So, you know, it is possible that put it this way, what I would hope is that if we do see Gates, if Gates does plead guilty, cooperate in some way or another, if we do see that sex trafficking charge get dropped, I sure hope that it will be in the name of something really worthy of that because he, it, it would be really terrible to see him walk from that just because he pleads guilty to something else. Unless the unless the thing that he's going to cooperate on has to do with things like seditious conspiracy, then 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 I could get my head around that. Yeah. There is still a possibility that these men may face civil suits. That is also quite possible, but I guess we'll see what happens with that. Sure. Just because Gates, even if he does cooperate here, he's definitely not out of legal jeopardy. Yeah, and that might be a clue, too. If we see charges and, and sex trafficking minor isn't on there and they explain, if they, if they don't say that, you know, we didn't find that or we couldn't prove that, that might be an indication that there's something much bigger. But we would also be. see that. So, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll, we're just going to have to wait for that. And then I've got about 30 seconds left, Tristan. What is the new time frame? Is there a new time frame? Because it was July, August, but we didn't hear any public reporting, public reporting about that being pushed back with the with the continuance on Greenberg sentencing. 
with his, you know, extended cooperation. Did his extended cooperation push back the charging decision on Gates? Do you know? I think that's pretty that's pretty clear from what has happened. I mean, that that was instantly what I surmised. As soon as I saw that, I made that, you know, I was definitely online saying that, look, we can't we're not I was instantly expecting that we wouldn't hear anything about Gates being charged until September. What we're hearing now is that it actually could happen this month. They are very, they're very close to charging him. They are being very, they're taking some very strong stances with him, which basically means to me, it is drafted. It is done. They might edit it a few more times, but there is an indictment. It is sitting in a, it, it is sitting there. It is, they've been going through different drafts of it. And, uh, and really the question is, do they roll with what they've got because he's going to go not guilty or are they going to do the cut down version because he's going to cut a deal? And that's really the remaining question. And it sounds like from what we've been hearing that it's going to either be within the next two weeks, the second half of August here, or that it could be in early September, but it's sooner than I was thinking. I was thinking we weren't going to hear until more like late September Greenberg's sentencing date thereby is got pushed to it's basically around October 4th ish. Mm. And he could get pushed again, by the way. Uh, it's not impossible. It may be that if some of the other defendants or if Gates plea not guilty sure. and they're going to go to trial, then Greenberg's sentencing might get pushed out until after that trial is over. Yeah, we saw that with Rick Gates yes. and yeah, et cetera. Yes. Et cetera. So yeah, we'll, we'll be looking for that. And I appreciate your time today. And everybody should follow you on Twitter at Tristan, T-R-I-S-T-A-N, Snell, S-N-E-L-L, to follow along with this because you've got some great inside information that I think that uh, most of the mainstream media doesn't have access to. I appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Season two of Swing Left's How We Win is here. All over the country, people like you stepped up to help hold the House, win control of the Senate, and put Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in the White House. Now we have an incredible opportunity and responsibility to wield our people power to fight for our democracy. Trump may be gone, but the GOP is still clearly the party of Trumpism. We must stay engaged to make sure we hold on to power and expand our majorities. But how do we do that in the face of historic attacks on voting rights, conspiracy theories that defile the truth, and systemic racism at the roots of our institutions? Season one brought you answers and tools to make a difference from guests such as Speaker Nancy Pelosi, DeRay McKesson, actor Billy Eichner, Stacey Abrams, Michael Moore, Katherine Hahn, Karen Bass, and many more. For season two, we're going even deeper into the issues that matter the most. And of course, what you can do about it. We don't agonize, we organize. And we've got a lot of work to do. Subscribe right now on Apple and everywhere you get your pods for insight, action, and your reasons for hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And, and this is is season two of How We Win. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. And joining me today for the good news, we have a very special guest, one of our patrons, David Satz from Brooklyn. David, hello. How are you? Hi, Allison. I'm well. Really glad to be here. I'm good. I'm glad you're well. 
And it was really great to see you at the meetup this past weekend in New York. I appreciate you joining us for that. And I, I'm so grateful that you're a patron. And I was hoping maybe you could tell listeners what it's like to be a patron. Is it worth it? <laughs> Some of my very best friends in my life these days come from the community that you have fostered here. Your work is the kind of work that brings people together in spirit. And uh, we've all become good friends. I wouldn't uh, change it for the world. That's so sweet. And I have to agree. Some of my really, really good friends have come out of of this community and these shows and you included, sir. So thank you so much uh, for being here to help me read the good news today. Dana's off. Dana has a big show in Fire Island tonight. Too late if you want to go see it because this comes out tomorrow. No, wait. No, it comes. It comes out Friday. (laughs) It comes out Friday. So she'll be she'll be doing that tonight. Uh, You can see Dana. And let's see, it's Friday when this comes out. So it'll be too late to come see me in Los Angeles, which was last night. Time travel is weird, David. Time travel is weird. But tell me about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you, you, don't I know it, as Norm MacDonald would say. But we're going to kick this off with uh, a correction. And if you have a correction or any good news or confessions, idioms you want to share, tell us how dumb you think Louis Gomert is. Find the cat happy places. Just pictures of your kids. Anything you want to send in, you can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. We love to hear from you. We love you sharing your stories. And, uh, you know, as we're learning, as we're going through this, it doesn't necessarily have to be good news. Sometimes people just need to share stuff. So I'll kick this off, David, today with a correction from Niccolo, pronouns he and him. Niccolo says, thank you for all your humor and diligence. I listen daily and I'm better for it. Thank you. As a proud Wisconsinite, I'm a union teacher. And on the front line of Republican tomfuckery, I want to correct your pronunciation of our governor's name, Troy Evers. The E says its name. Troy Evers, I guess? It is Evers. It is Evers. He, have a, he has a heavy burden to lift, especially the gigantic bag of shit that is Robin Voss. Also, fuck Ron Johnson. <laughs> Keep up the great work. <laughs> Thank you for that. And uh, I, I really do appreciate you on that correction. You know, being over here in California, I'm not I don't see a lot of Governor Evers on television. So thank you for that correction. David, who do we have next? Well, I just wanted to say in your defense <laughs> that if you go onto YouTube and you type in pronunciation, Tony, E-V-E-R-S, you will get a video that mispronounces the name. Oh, oops. <laughs> also, Robin Vos is speaker of the Wisconsin State Assembly. He's a Republican. Republicans have the majority in the assembly, which is weird for Wisconsin. And they're like doing horrible things like investigating the 2020 election. And, and Ron Johnson is the senior senator. He's the, he's the one who doesn't deserve to sit in the seat where Russ Feingold used to sit. Russia Ron Johnson. Okay, so my reading assignment is Kai, pronouns he, him. Hello, ladies of the legume. And uh, I just want to say as an aside that I am filling in as a lady today. (laughs) And uh, I do not have a lot of experience in that role. (laughs) So I hope I do an adequate job just for the purposes of this podcast. (laughs) Thanks, David. (laughs) Both my wife and I have been hardcore listeners to the show since its inception. And we use the beans as our morning wake-up routine. My wife, Kimberly, has been a patron for a bit longer, as I only became one more recently when the Discord server went live for Animal Crossing. (laughs) 
I have a bit of a correction, but mostly compliment sandwich for Allison. You mentioned that you wanted your mother to buy you the album Psycho Candy by Echo and the Bunnymen. I already know where he's going. It's Jesus and Mary Chain that did Psycho Candy. Gah! I just saw it. Oh, please. I just saw it. You can't get 100 on all the tests. Uh, yeah, but I, okay. I should get 100 on the Jesus and Mary Chain. That's one of my favorite albums of all time. Just Like Honey is like so, one of the greatest songs. Anyway, please continue. Yes, ma'am. Ugh. Regardless, I want to say that your taste in music very much aligns with mine. As I grew up in the 80s listening to pretty much anything new wave that came out, I hope that the current climate with the Delta variant calms down as I have tickets to see orchestral maneuvers in the dark next May. Mm. Keep up. I'm uh, talking as if I knew what that is. I'm a classical musician. OMD. Okay, so do you remember the movie Pretty in Pink, David? Yes, yes. You know, um, yeah, with the, that, like, they did the the main uh, song to that. Not Not Pretty in Pink, that's the psychedelic furs, but the the one we all associate with Pretty in Pink. It's on the Pretty in Pink soundtrack. So, well, thank you then. I'll continue again, pretending to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Keep up the excellent work. And I do wish that if you ever make it to Kansas City, that we could talk each other's ears off about the great music that came from the 80s. For the pod pet tax, I'm including a picture of our Rory Kitte. <laughs> she is a total love bug and will instantly become your friend once she meets you. She considers herself the world's cutest kitten, even though she is 14 years old. My wife refers to her as Normal. <laughs> Normal, the younger sister of Garfield, I believe. Ah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> and the song, the OMD song I was referring to is called If You Leave, I, I think. Don't look back. I won't waste one single day. Yeah, it's at the prom scene at the end. And, and of our friend John Cryer, who's been on the podcast, is like, moi. <laughs> yeah. Look at this baby kitty. What a sweetheart. Oh, little flame point with some black spots, too. And little and little black spots on the peats, on the toe beans. That's amazing. And totally relaxed in the hindquarters, but stretching in the front. <laughs> so cute. How they do that, I do not know. <laughs> yep. David, I'm going to take the next two because they're relatively short. This one's from Mamie. Pronouns she and her rhymes with Amy. My completely embarrassing misinterpreted song lyrics, which you may find either alarming or amusing or both. Jelly bean, jelly bean. Those are the lyrics my brain supplied up until just recently while listening to your podcast's theme song, Attached, Meet the Late Great Louie, whose aggression made our backyard deer family bark in alarm. Oh, the deer bark. Okay. I didn't know deer bark, but okay. So instead of daily beans, daily beans, you heard jelly bean, jelly bean. But let's look at this Louie. Oh, that's a little ham kitty right there. Mm -hmm. So cute on the shoes. And uh, next up from Donna, great news from my liver doctor. I have end-stage liver disease from hep C. I was retaining fluid in my belly and getting it drained monthly. I had a TIPS procedure to place a stent in my portal vein six months ago and had an excellent lab report. I'm feeling so much better. Ten years ago, I was dying. Now I'm living a good life. Also, regarding the aquarium monsters with the baby photo, Glad that turned out to be mangrove roots and not face huggers. <laughs> Severums come in a lot of varieties. Attached is my golden Severum. Her name is Sweet Pea. Love you all to pieces. Look at this. We've got Severums in common in the community, David. This one seems to be in the process of being fed. <laughs> if that's what those white flecks are in the picture. So cute. I love fishies. Hmm. All right. What do we have next, David? Next up is Sherry with pronouns she and her. Hello, lovely ladies of the legumes. And do I get a moment here to vogue a little bit on screen for you, Alex? Yes, please. 
All right. Uh, <laughs> my good news is the fulfillment of a dream, or at least part of one. I'm a bibliophile and have wanted my very own library for too long. Last year, we moved to a grand old house in Topeka, Kansas. Not my dream, but I'm out of the South at last. And my husband finally had time to start building my library shelves. Mm. Ruby House, named for my mom, is 133 years old, hasn't a plumb wall or level floor in her, but has 10-foot high ceilings and now the first case for books. This is all nonfiction because she sent several photos. The boxes hold more nonfiction and most of my literary fiction. The cat on the boxes is Leonato, one of two kittens who adopted us last summer, which brought our indoor cat total to eight. Mm. The dog is Apollo, one of two cat-loving standard poodles. He's in charge of head and ear licking. My husband thinks he will have the rest of the shelving built by the end of the year, and I can spend the winter happily sorting, arranging, and reading. Thank you for all the laughs and tears and anger and swears. This is a beautiful... That wood is gorgeous, too. Yeah. That is absolutely beautiful. I'm so glad you're living your dream. And a 133-year-old house with... I, I almost got one like that in Golden Hill, David. The, the real estate mm-hmm. agent referred to it as a grand dame of a house. And I thought that was the yeah. best explanation I have heard. And I love that you're naming your library after your mom. That's so awesome. Congratulations, Sherry. And look at this puppy and kitty. No, I love poodles. All right. Next up from Megan, pronouns she and her. AG, you said something on a recent episode that will undoubtedly change my life forever. After hearing, I'm just a comedian who tells dick jokes and reads the news, I will never again struggle to write an elevator pitch or a dating profile. Hell, change the profession and slap it on my headstone when the time comes to. (laughs) Courtesy of my four-year-old son, I have a submission for shit kids say. I was in the car with my son and ex-husband when we swung through the McDonald's drive-thru on the way to T-Ball. His dad asked if we wanted anything else, to which Gavin promptly yelled, Don't forget to get mom a wine. (laughs) McWine, huh? I'm proud he's looking out for me at such a young age. Megan, that's awesome. For my pet tax, I give you my two shelter kitties, Ivy and Whiskey. Ivy, the black cat, affectionately known as Princess Baby Ivy Girl, is 15 years old and going on year eight with me. She is selective with her cuddles, but maintains a level of patience I can only hope to achieve someday. Whiskey, the orange big boy, has been uh, with us the past three of his nine years. He's never had a nap he didn't enjoy, and he takes his job as Gavin's sleep protector very seriously. I love that. Thank you for making sure we all have a little joy in our day when the world seems to offer nothing but worry and dread. Look at this. There are three amazing photos with this submission, and the people on the Patreon feed, I really urge you to look at them. They're, they're just wonderful examples of interaction between a child and a non-human animal. Oh. These are so adorable. That last one is killing me. The sleep protector. Mm. Oh, that's so adorable. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love these photos. That's a big floof. I want to pet the bellies. Mm. And it looks like because of the second picture, you can safely pet the belly. Apparently so. But I want to thank everybody for these submissions. The fishes and the kitties. These are all wonderful. And the correction from Niccolo. Thank you. Evers. I will try to remember that. I always get stuff wrong like that. And some, you know, another mistake I always make is I say U.S. Attorney General instead of U.S. Attorney. I always throw the general in there and and then I have to go back and there's no edit on Twitter. So I have to go back and rewrite the whole tweet again. It happens all the time. It's just one of those common errors I make, I guess. If you have anything you want to submit, 
You can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. And uh, if you want to become a patron, you get to get ad-free early episodes of The Beans. You get ad-free episodes of Muller She Wrote, ad-free of the MSW Book Club. And uh, you get invites to the meet and greets like we did in Brooklyn, or not in Brooklyn, you're from Brooklyn, David, like we did in Manhattan this past weekend and we're doing in LA this weekend. And uh, once we get back out on the road, if people would get vaccinated, we'll have special VIP meet and greets at our shows for patrons as well. And then we have weekly Zoom calls and private discussion groups and we have some um, Discord channels. It's it's a lot of fun and it's a really incredible community. And I'm so glad you're a part of it, David. I'm so glad you were here to join me today. So glad to be a part of it. And I look forward to when the climate allows for live shows again. I'll be so eager to see you. It'll be great. It'll be wonderful. And, I, I, you know, I'll be in New York again soon, I'm sure, as soon as, as, soon as it's safe to be, because I, I love it there. It's an incredible city. All right, everybody, until tomorrow... What is tomorrow? No, today's Friday. I I keep I don't even know what day it is anymore. It's like I'm already back in lockdown mentally. But please listen to the MSW Book Club. We're on episode five of Hatchet Man by Ellie Honig this Sunday. And I'll put out a Mueller she wrote. I'm going to be sharing, resharing the Alexander Vindman, Colonel Vindman interview that came out today, which is seriously one of my proudest, like the most proud of of this interview. You know, I've got a top five and he's in it. Let's just say that this interview is in it. It's a really incredible interview. And uh, I, I want everybody to to get a chance to hear it. So look for that this weekend. And then Monday, Dana will be back. And uh, until then, everyone, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill. I've been David in Brooklyn. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.